Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. This is the way. Welcome to part two of our new series that we're so excited about. And it's it's actually a journey for us to look and, and discover what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus, to see those things that we're actually being called to and what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. And to help us out, what we've actually been doing is looking at some similarities between the early church and this little guy right here, the Mandalorian. And if you missed last week, you're like, you did what? How in the world did you connect the Mandalorian and little baby Yoda to the early church? And it's interesting because the two are connected because they had this belief system, this maybe even a phrase you would call it, where they were connected to something through their beliefs, through their way of life, through their moral code. And that, and this fact that they were connected to something bigger than themselves. And for the early church, what they were connected to were these words that Jesus spoke to them in John 14. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. And so these early believers, they connected to that. And when Jesus was gone, when he ascended up into heaven, they said, you know what? We want to be connected to the way. We want to identify as the way to Jesus, the, the people who help connect people who are far from him, who, who don't have a true relationship. We want to connect them with the way, the truth, and the life. And so they began to call themselves the way. And on the Mandalorian side of it, the same people were connected around these same things, their beliefs and their way of life and their moral code and, and all of these things. And the way that they would express it to one another is they would say, this is the way. Right. It was just this phrase that came over time and time again in the series as you watched it. And the Mandalorian, this guy in particular, we'll just call him Mando. Mando and his guild, they had a very like legalistic way of approaching the way. They were very, very strict. They actually believed that you should never remove your helmet, this big old thing. You should never remove it at any point in front of anyone. And so literally to eat, sleep, any of that thing, they, they kept their helmet on because no one was to ever see their face. And like in order for you to like move up in rank and do all of this other stuff, they would ask you, has anyone ever seen your face? And if they have, well, you're out. If no one hasn't, you know, it's you, you kept the rules, then you can continue on. Well, there's this interesting storyline because Mando comes in contact with another group of Mandalorians and they were extremely rare. And so they, they came together and he was all excited about this moment and they fought this common enemy and they get to the end of it. And right as they are kind of like ending the conversation, this other guild, they remove their helmets. They would be more progressive, I guess you would say. And Mando just like freaks out. 
he is shocked. I mean, you can't see his face because he has to keep his helmet on. But his helmet was really shocked. Like the helmet movement, he was just completely perplexed that a Mandalorian would remove their helmet. Like, you cannot do this. This is the rules. This is the way. You don't believe the real way. And it was this tension point between what he believed was the way and the way people actually lived it out. These progressive Mandalorians, how dare they break the way that it's supposed to be? What's interesting is you and I deal with a similar tension. Because for most believers, we believe a lot of the same things, but the way that we live it out is very different. And the same thing happened for the disciples. You see, what they expected of their coming Messiah looked completely different than the Messiah that showed up. They were expecting this hero, what they imagined about him, what they thought he would do, what they thought he would look like, what they expected following him would look like, what they thought their lives would look like on the other side. It was all completely different. They had this picture of what the way was, and then Jesus showed up. And and it's one of my favorite things about Jesus is that when he showed up, he flipped everything on his head. The world blew up. Theology, your relationship with God, your relationship with people, your relationship with people who were different than you. Jesus came in with these dynamites of truth and just blew everything up. It just was completely different than what they expected. What they thought would be the way, it was upside down. This way that Jesus was describing was backwards and upside down and so vastly different than what they they had been doing for generations and also what they expected their future to look like. And you know what? For us, we kind of celebrate that. Oh, haha, Jesus showed up and he just blew it all up and it was so crazy. And all their cultural things were all out of whack. And they're like, what in the world's going on? And we think it's funny for those that were 2000 years ago. But when we reflect on his teachings today in 2021, I think they might blow up a few of our cultural trends as well. I think as we dig into what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus, we would recognize that we're being invited into this upside down way of life that might make us a little bit more uncomfortable than we anticipated. It might cause us to redetermine the way that we live our lives. Oswald Chambers is a a famous Christian writer and he was born in the late 1800s and his work was was actually produced by his wife after he passed away at a young age. But Oswald Chambers is a, is a famous writer and he says these words and just prepare your heart because they're challenging. Look at this truth. It's easier to have common sense and Christian emotion rather than actually following the will of God. Ouch. <laughs> like that's... You and I, and many of us believe this, we feel like if if we take a little bit of common sense and we take a little bit of Christianese and saying all the Christian words and remembering just enough verses and we shake them up together and then we're just going to pour out godliness. Oswald Chambers challenges and says, common sense and a little bit of Christian emotion is not the will of God. 
that actually looks completely different. He continues on to say this, being born again means that we must be willing to let go before we're able to grasp something else. I picture this like that scene in the movie where the girl is, is falling down the hill and she's just reaching out for anything and that she can grab and she grabs a hold of this root. And somehow that root is like the most supernaturally strong root ever, right? Like in every action movie, it's like I'm dangling by a piece of toilet paper, but somehow it's holding a 200 pound person. But you can imagine they're, they're holding on to this root and then the hero rolls over and reaches his hand down to her and, and he's like, just grab my hand. I'm right here. Right. You know, this scene. But there's a moment where she has to let go of that root in order to grab the hand. There's a moment of free fall. There's a moment where gravity takes hold. Look at this truth. When it comes to following God's will, there's a moment of free fall before safety. There's a challenging moment for us to understand that God is asking us to let go in order to grab his hand. But for most of us, we never let go. We try to hold on to both. We want to hold on to that root and we want to hold on to his hand. And we're trying to figure out why things aren't working, why we just keep getting mixed up, why we keep making the same mistakes, why life looks the same way, why we feel so unfulfilled. And the truth is you can't go where God is trying to lead you if you're unwilling and you're afraid to let go of control. You can't go where God wants to lead you. You can't hold on to both. At some point, you have to embrace the fact of faith, of letting go, of having that momentary pull of gravity, that free fall where you let go of your control and you grab onto his hand. But some of you, you've been waiting maybe years to truly let go of that control. You've been holding on to your way. And as we look at what it means to truly follow Jesus, we have to understand that we're invited into this adventure, this upside down way of doing things. And when you look at the teachings of Jesus, it doesn't look like anything else that you've ever seen. It doesn't look like what you expect it to be. And so today we're going to take a look at one of his most his famous teachings, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at some of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, it's, it's just a word that's taken from the original language, the Beatisunt. It's, it's blessed are, blessed are they. Like every one of them starts with that. Blessed are they who, and so it, it just speaks to this blessing, this blessed life. And when you look at the original language, that, that blessed word is so much deeper than just, oh, hashtag blessed. Right. It's so much deeper than that. It means to be enriched, to be fortunate, to be delighted, to be content. Sign me up for that. Right. To be fulfilled and delighted and content. Yes, I want that kind of blessed life. Right. That's that's what Jesus is saying in this teaching here. Enriched and fulfilled and content and blessed are they. Who are these things? Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That doesn't sound blessed, right? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The author Dallas Willard describes it this way. He says, Jesus says, blessed are the nobodies, the spiritually bankrupt and the deficient. Those without a wisp of religion. When the kingdom of heaven comes, it'll come upon them. For the grace of Jesus is moving in and through them. Yes, I want to experience that. Jesus says, blessed are those who weep, those who have lost greatly, those who feel like they're at the end of their rope, they're at the bottom of the barrel, those who feel hopeless. There's a comfort and there's a peace who will be with you. Blessed are the quiet ones, the intimidated ones, the ones who, who aren't fighting for themselves, they seem unassertive. The ones who put the needs of others before their own needs, blessed are they because they will gain the kingdom of God. That kind of humility, that kind of compassion is honored and elevated in God's kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Most people feel like they're peacemakers, but being a peacemaker is uncomfortable. You're stuck in the middle. You're in, in the middle between here and, and no one really trusts you all the way because no one really trusts the person who doesn't agree with them all the way. Like, wait a minute, you're going to be in the middle and you're going to hear my side of the story and their side of the story. No, I'm right. It's uncomfortable. Anytime I've ever been a peacemaker in a situation, it's uncomfortable. And God goes, hey, you, you that are peacemakers, those who step into that, those who become that, understand that under God's rule, the recognition of that is good and is helpful. And, and the Lord honors that because it is a beautiful picture of the family of God. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. Blessed are they who are the peacemakers. Look at this truth though. The Beatitudes are not something to do. Instead, they're something to become. They're virtues to become. You don't just wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm going to be meek today. Look how meek I am. I am such a meek person, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. These virtues become a part of our identity as we surrender our lives and surrender who we are to Jesus. None of this happens outside of a relationship with Jesus. Some of us obviously are born with some of these tendencies and some of these natural bends and, and you're naturally a peacemaker or you're naturally meek or you're not. That's, that's fine. But in order for us to truly experience it, it requires us to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Look at this truth. We talked about this last week. Before you can experience the fullness of God, you have to surrender your way. Last week, we looked at in order to experience the fullness of God, you had to be all in. This week, I'm challenging you in order to experience the fullness of what God wants to do. You have to be willing to surrender your way. 
Lauren's papa always jokes with our family. He says, hey, be reasonable. Do it my way. Right. It's so cute. And it's so funny when Papa says it. And he's always he's good for so many one liners. He's so hilarious. We love him so very much. But it's cute when he says it. But when we look at our own lives, isn't that kind of what we do with God? Hey, God, I've got some plans. I've got some ideas. I have some ways that I really want you to bless me. And I want you to come alongside me and, and help me be able to do this and open this door and open that door. Hey, God, no, no, I know you had some plans, but hey, be reasonable. Do it my way. We would never say that out loud, but honestly, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're expecting. What Jesus is saying is, Hey, I need you to surrender your way and sign up to be a part of this upside down kingdom. Jesus continues in Matthew 5, continue to drop bombs on the people who are listening. Matthew 5 verse 38. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if someone gouged out your eye, you gouge out their eye. Someone knocks your tooth out, you knock their tooth out, right? Like that's, that's what you've heard. That's what you've been taught. Verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Which, what? Jesus. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. Wait, wait, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're saying don't fight for ourselves to be taken advantage of? What are you trying to say here? He goes, oh, I'm not done, I'm not done. We're still going here. Verse 43, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Like Jesus, not the tax collectors. Again, here we go. You're always talking about the tax collectors. We all know everybody hates them. Nobody wants to be like the tax collectors. He's like, exactly. Aren't they doing that? They love the people who love them. No, no, no. I'm challenging you to do something different. And guys, you have to understand the context of what, what was being said here. Understand that what they believed what was coming was this warrior king. They were expecting the Messiah to be this warrior king who rolled up and he took out the Roman Empire and he was going to wipe out all the enemies of Israel. And Israel was going to rise up and be this superpower in the world that all of the enemies would bow before him. And here Jesus is sitting on a mountaintop going, no, 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 no. I want you to love your enemy. You know, when that Roman centurion comes to you and he's carrying his gear and his pack and they have by law the right to tell you, I need you to carry it for one mile. I want you to take that pack and I want you to carry it for two. What? I, I want you to go above and beyond. And guys, listen to me. I can promise you that day there are some people who walked away. There's some people that heard this message. They heard this sermon on the Mount while we celebrated 2000 years later. They in the moment, there are people who said, that's not the Messiah I signed up for. 
That's not the Messiah that I prayed for. That's not the way I thought this would look. And Jesus said, that's right. I'm inviting you into an upside down way of doing life. Are you up for the challenge? Are you up for that adventure? Are you willing to humble yourself enough to do this? And I can promise you, there were so many people that day that walked away and said, there's no way he's the Messiah. There's no way he's the Messiah because the Messiah would never ask us to do that. The Messiah would never ask us to do extra work for the, the group of people who have taken over Israel. He would never ask us to do that. So that guy can't be the one. And I wonder how many of you are in that same boat that Jesus has been asking you to do something, to lean into something about him, to, to change the way that you're living your life and you're looking at him going, there's no way you could possibly be asking me to do that. These are not the things we would assume would be the kingdom of God. We, we wouldn't expect that that's, that's what we're being called to, right? Especially for the people hearing this message. They're like, I don't want to be a peacemaker, Jesus. I want to be a revolutionary. I want to take back our kingdom. I want to kick the Roman government out. I want to chew out all those people who are doing life the wrong way. And Jesus goes, no, I'm actually calling out something different in you. I'm calling out humility and faith. Humility in the sense that this isn't about your ego. This isn't about what you're entitled to. This isn't about you being a victim to what's happening in your life. Jesus says this kind of humility doesn't let you be braggadocious. It doesn't let you tout yourself as this amazing thing. Instead, I'm asking you to humble yourself even to your enemy to the point that they, they don't understand why you would want to take their bags two miles when they could only ask you for one. They don't understand that. Why, Jesus, why are you calling us to this kind of humility? Because the second part of that is when we do that, when we humble ourselves that way. It's what the Bible tells us. Those who humble themselves, the Lord will elevate them at the appropriate time. When we humble ourselves, what happens is it stirs up faith. Faith that the God in heaven that we serve, our God in heaven, our Father God is fighting on our behalf at all times. Faith that no matter what we're walking through, faith that no matter how many times we humble ourselves, faith that no, how many, no many, how many times we give and put the needs of others before ourselves, that our God is the one that's in control. Instead of us putting our faith in, in our talents and our gifts and our ability to, to work situations out and our persuasiveness and our manipulativeness, instead of all of those things, I need to be humble and put faith in the fact that the God who saw my life before I was even born is strong enough and capable enough of handling everything that I need. He is the one making a way before me. He is the one who I can put my trust in, that it isn't about me, it's about him. And this upside down way of life is what we're being called to, church. We're being called to it. But why? Why is this 
upside, upside down way so important. What Jesus told us in the same passage of scripture, Matthew 5, verse 14. Your lives light up the world. Jesus, why do you want us to do this? Why in the world are you calling us to this life? Why does things look like this? Why are you saying these words? Because your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's place where everyone in the house can benefit. I love that word, where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your father in heaven. Look at this truth. Your life was meant to be a light that points people to your father in heaven. That's what your life was meant to be. When we buy into this upside down way of life, these teachings, what Jesus is truly calling us to do, when we do that, our light shines in the darkness. Our light draws people to our heavenly father. Jesus says, guys, this is all about you being a light in the darkness. It isn't about you making your life brighter to shine your own light, to make it about you. Your light is a beacon to other people. Your light is a lighthouse. Your life is a lighthouse. And the beauty about lighthouses is they represent more than just preventative help. It's more than just keeping people off of the rocks and running into the shore. It's actually this beacon of hope. It's, it's a safe haven for wanderers as they are, are going about their, their journey. That they know at least at one point, instead of it being pitch black, I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean at night and the, the clouds are there and the moon is gone and the stars aren't shining. It's just black. It's just dark. But that little bit of light lets you know, hey, there's something out there. There's something that can I can head towards that. I can be drawn towards that. And that's what your life is. It represents a place of refuge for those who are hopeless and have nowhere else to go that are desperately looking for the way. They're desperately looking for the life. They're desperately looking for the truth. Your life is the lighthouse. Don't cover it up. Don't cover it up. I did some research on the lighthouse at the Cabrillo National Monument right here in San Diego. And I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's out on the cliffs and it's so cool. Just a, a cool historical thing. And it, it was one of the first lighthouses built on the California coast as, as California was discovered. And, and they started to lay out these lighthouses along the shoreline because as beautiful as the cliffs are that we like to admire now, the people traveling by ship, they weren't beautiful. They were dangerous and treacherous. So they wanted to set up these lighthouses along the coast. And everyone thought that this, this particular lighthouse at the Cabrillo National Monument was brilliant. 
because it was so high in the air. It's, it was put there in 1855 and it was 422 feet above sea level. And the idea was because it's so tall and it's so high that everyone from anywhere could see it on both sides of Point Loma, through the bay. Like it would just be this huge beacon of light that's just so tall and, and beautiful. But there was an issue. Because it was so tall, when fog came in, when the marine layer came in, when storms came in, it was too tall and all of that cloud cover would block out the light. So its whole purpose, the whole reason for its existence was knocked out because it was covered. It was blocked out. The storms that came in were covering the light that was supposed to offer hope for other people. So eventually they had to build another lighthouse at a lower point to help people. And I wonder how many of you, that's exactly what's happening in your life. You see, your purpose is so much greater than you imagine because you have no idea who needs your light. You have no idea who is looking to you as that beacon of hope, as that place where they can find refuge. They may not be telling you right now, but they know that when they hit the storms of life, when they're shipwrecked, when they have no hope, when they're desperate, they at least know I know where to turn because I know one person who follows Jesus. You have no idea who needs your light. And guess what, guys? They don't need my light because they don't know me. You are a light carrier. You are a lighthouse in the circles of influence that God has uniquely placed you. You have to understand that when you cover your light, when you block out your light, there are people in your life who need your light to find Jesus. They don't need a message from me. They need the light from their friend. They need their light from their closest relative. They need their light from that one person in their job that has some semblance of hope in this world. That they may not have all the answers, they may not have the money, they may not have all of these things, but you have something that they desperately need and you have no idea who is missing your light when you cover it up. And God is calling you to recognize the purpose that's found in your life and found in your light. When you embrace this upside down way of doing things, your light gets so much brighter. It busts through the clouds. It busts through the storm. It, it gives you an opportunity to find a deeper level of purpose that you've never experienced before. And it's not just for your life to be better, but it's because your light is gonna get so much brighter that it's gonna push out the darkness to the furthest it could possibly push it. And more people who are shipwrecked and wandering and lost and hopeless and needing something will be able to find your light because you have bought into this way. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus was so desperate for people to understand. That's why this message was so valuable in this day and age, because the ones who got it, their light got exponentially brighter because they finally understood what God had created them 
forward. The challenge for you, the challenge for me, is that when we evaluate our way, when you evaluate your way, what are the virtues that drive you forward? What are the virtues that are driving you forward? Are, are they the virtues that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? The Beatitudes? Are the virtues more about your ego and what's going to happen in your life and how you can have, you can hashtag live my best life? Is it about that or is it really about you digging in a little bit deeper? One of the best ways to evaluate this is to discover and ask yourself how present God is in certain areas of your life? How present is God in your marriage? How often is God a part of your conversation when it comes to your marriage? How about in your finances? How present is God in your finances? When you're making big decisions, when you're trying to do your best, when you're trying to pay all the bills, when you're trying to make ends meet, when you're trying to make financial plans for the future, is God even a part of that conversation? Is God even a part of what's going on in your life? What about your decisions? How present is God in your decision-making? Your plans for the future, your dreams? Or how about this? How present is God in your low places? Those moments that are filled with anxiety and fear and depression. How present are you allowing God to be? Or are you just letting that storm continue to come in snuff out that light, to cover it up, to block it out. How involved is God in your everyday life? One of my favorite quotes about this is, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough for you to lose sleep, if it's big enough for you to stress about, if it's big enough for you to call your best friend and and need to vent and, and process it with somebody, then it's big enough for you to pray. God cares about every intimate detail of your life. So today, as we get ready to pray, are you willing and ready to buy into this upside down way of life, to lean into what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus? What it truly looks like to surrender your way to come head to head with that tension point of what you thought it was supposed to look like and what Jesus is actually calling you to. Are you ready to lean into the chest of your heavenly father and say, God, I'm all in. I'm surrendering my way. I'm surrendering what I thought it was supposed to look like. I am in. Are you ready to do that today? If so, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know for me, I needed this message. I know there's been so many areas of my life over the past year that, man, I'm, I'm holding on for dear life. I'm holding on to that root that somehow magically is strong enough to keep me from falling off the cliff. And I'm, and I'm holding on to that, but God, you're offering me a hand and I have to be brave enough and courageous enough to let go and have that momentary free fall in order to release my control and trust in what you want to do. God, 
I want to go exactly where you're trying to lead. I want to be a part of this plan. I want to be all into this upside down way of life. But God, it requires me to let go of control and trust you to lead. And so God, I pray right now for every person who's hearing this, that they would be willing to let go, that they would be willing to surrender it, that they would be be willing to understand that what they thought things were going to look like, it may not look like that, but you have such a better way of doing things, God. Give us the boldness to trust you, to have that humility and to have that faith to lean in and say, God, I want to do it your way. I'm tired of trying to do it my way and it not working. God, I want to do it your way. We surrender it all to you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your strong and your mighty name. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.